Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, all you wonderful, wonderful F1 fans, not only in Canada, but around the world. If you're hearing my voice, it can only mean two things. One, my name is Kelsey, and two, you are listening to the newest edition of F101. As always, we're going to start off this episode with the hot topics. This is everything you need to know in the world of F1. And on this inaugural weekend of the beginning of the 2024 season, there is only one thing that you need to know in the hot topics. It has come down the pipe today. That is February 28th. It is a Wednesday. The investigation in Christian into Christian Horner's inappropriate behavior has officially been resolved. The verdict has come out. Some people call this a no surprise. Some people are surprised. Some people are mad about it. Some people are happy about it. I'm a little indifferent. Let me know what you think. Christian Horner has been essentially dismissed. All accusations have been dismissed of any kind of wrongdoing. The independent investigation that the uh, Red Bull company, not the racing team, but actual Red Bull company itself, uh, they hired a third-party investigator to investigate it. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks now. We still don't know what the accusations are. We still don't know who brought these allegations forward. Uh, and we're never going to know this. They're not going to release any kind of that privy information, which I think 100% makes sense. You want to protect the person who made these, who brought these allegations forward. At the same time, you don't want to take away um, any kind of, or you don't want to add any kind of bias. You don't want to add any kind of influence from outside to the third party investigator. But as of right now, the 28th of February, Christian Horner has been uh, essentially proven innocent of all these kind of allegations. The party in question who has brought these allegations forward, they do have an opportunity to appeal this decision and take it essentially to a higher authority. Uh, we don't know if this is going to happen at all, if it's going to happen yet, but Christian Horner will be in Bahrain for the Grand Prix this weekend. He is not set to step down or anything like that. He also has not made any public statements yet. Um, I think he will make a very short uh, kind of a thank you public statement for the support. And, you know, he stuck by his guns and thanking his wife and, you know, the, the typical social media stuff, if he does that at all. But expect to see Christian Horner around for at least this weekend, if not the next couple of weekends, unless something drastic happens. Now let's move on with the episode itself. This being the very first race weekend of the 2024 season, it has been brought to my attention that I have gained some followers from last season to this season as well. So I'd like to thank everybody for tuning into this podcast. I'd like to thank all the listeners. Now, that being said, this is F101, and, and this is a podcast that explains and breaks down Formula One racing and any kind of terms that you may have not heard before. So watching Formula One is a little easier when you're listening to podcasts. It's a little bit more understandable. So this week's episode, uh, it's kind of going to be a breakdown of everything, all the terms that you need to know while watching Formula One. You're going to hear this in my podcast. You're going to hear these terms in other podcasts. You're definitely going to hear these terms while watching F1, whether it's on ESPN, TSN, or my favorite F1 TV. Um, by all means, I'm not getting paid to sponsor or I'm not getting sponsored by them, 
That's just the way that I love watching Formula One. Multiple screens, no commercial breaks, and nonstop action. So let's just get right into it. These are some of the terms and things you need to go know coming into the 2024 season. Let's start off with the definitions. When you are on majority of the street tracks, you're going to hear the term chicane. Now, what is a chicane? How do you visualize a chicane? We're going to get right into it right now. Uh, chicane essentially is a series of tight corners in alternate directions. So essentially what this means is picture an S. Now stretch it out just a little bit so it's not so curvy. So you can almost make a straight line going from one corner to the next, but you do have to make a little bit of alterations. Uh, this is called the chicane. Now the, the broadcasters love to use the terms. The race developers love putting chicanes in races. What this does to the race itself, it adds opportunities for drivers to make mistakes and capitalize on other people's mistakes. It also adds a little bit of, especially when it's really bad weather, if it's raining, uh, if it's super, super hot, bad track conditions, anything like that, or if it's super windy, it does add a series of, call it excitement, because sometimes you make that chicane going really, really fast. Sometimes you make it going really, really slow, but not very often do you make it going in that middle speed. Something is generally going to happen. Uh, moving in or moving on the term clear air. Now, when you're watching these guys race, let's use Max Verstappen, for example, when he's ahead of everybody else as of last year, he's driving in what's called clean air. So essentially what that means is that there's nobody in front of you. There is no turbulence. There's no what's called dirty air. And we're going to get into that in a second. Um, it's just straight clean air that these cars are specifically built for that they can punch through and it creates stability, creates downforce, gives them extra speed, extra grip on the track itself. It's essentially what you want as a race car driver. You want as much clean air in front of your car as humanly possible. With the look of these Formula One cars compared to the last couple of years, they're trying to create as much clean air following behind a car as they possibly could. Hence the new designs, the new uh, side pods, the new rear wings, all that kind of fun stuff. It's to try to create as much clear air as possible. But if you're traveling too close behind somebody, you're going to run into our next definition, which is dirty air. So essentially what dirty air is, it's it's turbulent air. So think about you're driving, you're flying in a plane, driving a plane. If you're a pilot, you're flying a plane or driving a plane. But if you're a passenger, you know, when you're driving and all of a sudden it just gets really, really bumpy and it kind of seems like it's really, really rough, but you're in air. That's what dirty air is to a certain extent behind an F1 car. So when you're, say your car number two, you're driving behind car number one. Some drivers report that it's really rough, it's really bumpy, and sometimes it's hard to keep the car straight while driving behind a car really, really close. Or think about it, if you're driving down the highway and you're behind a big 18-wheeler, you know, sometimes you hear, you feel the air just kind of push you back and forth. That's turbulent air or dirty air. So the reason why these cars are designed the way they are is they're trying to get as much dirty air away from the other cars and off your car as much as possible. So you want to be close enough where you can get an advantage, but you don't want to be too close where all of a sudden the air, because it's coming off the car in front of you, is so rough that it affects your driving. It slows you down, makes it too hard to stay straight, makes it a little rougher, all those sorts of things. That's what you want to avoid. So the air going over car number one into you, which is car number two, would be called dirty air. 
Now, if you're following too close to the car in front of you, you're going to hit all that dirty air, which is going to affect what our next definition is. It's going to affect your downforce. So downforce is downward pressure from airflow that tracks over the car. So essentially what that means is when you look at the cars, they're designed a certain way. They've got a bunch of valleys and they're really sleek. They've got some aerodynamic angles. They're trying to optimize as much downforce as possible. The sleeker the car you have and the more aerodynamic advancements you have, the more downforce you have. Okay, so what does that actually mean? When you're driving forward, you're punching a hole in the air. So you're forcing air over and underneath your car. You want more air pressure pushing down on your car than you do pushing up from underneath. That's what downforce is. So when you see the side pods designed a certain way, when you see the front wing and the floors and the rear wings designed a very certain way, they're trying to optimize as much downforce or air pushing down on the car as technologically available. With that downforce, it gives you a faster car. It gives you more grip around those corners, especially when some of these corners you're going around at like 125 kilometers an hour, you want as much grip and the downforce helps you with your grip to keep traction and get around that corner. Less downforce you have, you're going to go a little slower. You're going to have a little less control on your car and you're definitely not going to have as much speed or control around the corners as somebody with higher downforce. And this is definitely important when you're following behind a car and you're in that dirty air, you still want to keep as much downforce as possible to give you that not necessarily race advantage, but it gives you that extra safety that your car is not going to hit a squirrely spot and then all of a sudden off the track you go. Does that make sense? Now, with better downforce means a faster car, but every single car has something that's called a DRS system. Now, DRS is very, very important. So what is a DRS system? The DRS stands, system stands for drag reduction system. So when you look at the back of the car, you've got the big wing. Like kind of like, think of it like a, a high-end sports car spoiler, okay, on the back of the car, on a, on a car that we would own on a around town in the countryside, all that kind of stuff. The spoiler is our version of DRS, okay? It helps move the air down the back of the car and it gives us a little bit less drag. So because these cars are so fast, when that wing is up, it creates a certain amount of downforce to help the car go faster, but it also slows it down a little bit because it's hitting a solid surface and it's dragging the car just, just a little bit. So what the DRS system has, and every single car has a DRS system, when the opportune time comes and you have to be within one second of the car ahead of you, you have what's called DRS. So there's a button on the steering wheel and it's generally different colored per car and they're in different spots on the wheel according to the driver where they like it. They're going to press the DRS button. Now, when they press the DRS button, you're going to see the wing. You'll be able to read the logo on the back of the car and then all of a sudden it's going to go totally flat. What this does is this, this adds less drag on the car, which kind of means, well, not kind of means, it does mean the car has a potential to go much faster up to 20 kilometers faster. Now, why is this? So when you move that wing out of the way, when you've got your car dialed in with aerodynamics and you've got the, the downforce of the air all pushing down on the car, you're going fast enough, it's flowing over your car quite nicely. You don't want it to hit any kind of barrier coming out the back of the car. You can keep what's called the natural speed of the F1 car. So when you hit your DRS system, all of a sudden that flap comes open, 
and that air can just flow right through that car literally as fast as the car can make it go, which is why you gain about 20 kilometers an hour. Now, when you're, you only have DRS system for a very certain amount of time and for very specific spots on the track, each track is different, but generally when it's a long straight stretch, think of the Vegas strip. There's a, I think it was 1.4 mile strip. You're going to have your DRS open because it's flat. It's straight and it's the most opportune time to gain as much speed as you possibly can. Added speed, which means you can pass more cars, higher place, you get points and cash and so on and so forth. So remember, when you hear DRS, that stands for drag reduction system. All these definitions that I'm talking about today and then I'm explaining for some of you who don't know what these definitions are, they are all interconnected. And I'm making sure that I explain them to you in a way that you're going to hear probably eight times out of 10 when you're watching Formula One, or if you're talking to somebody about Formula One, all of these things are interconnected. So when you're watching Formula One and you hear somebody say they have been able to, oh, let's say conversation's sake, uh, Max Verstappen was able to hit his DRS around just after the chicane, giving him extra downforce and getting out of dirty air of Carlos sites that is ahead of him. Everything has that interaction everything makes sense one to two to three to four so hopefully this is going to make sense for you when you're watching formula one now back to the definitions when you hit your drs you're going faster you always go fast in a formula one car even their version of slow is our version of ridiculously fast okay so what on your car and what on f1 cars is always touching the track no matter what is always getting used no matter what going fast or slow it's the tires. So some things that you're going to hear every once in a while is let's say they're going in for a pit stop. Okay. So what that means is they have designated a certain amount of laps where the F1 car has to come in and essentially get new tires. So you've got two guys per tire. So you've got eight guys swapping out the tires, four guys on the air guns to undo the bolts, and then four guys to put the tires back on so they can get bolted back on. Okay. That's your pit stop. Generally, the reason for a pit stop is because you're going to hear what's called graining on the tires. Now, no, there isn't grain on the tires. There isn't anything like that. The tires are straight rubber with a bunch of other compounds in there that us normal civilians don't actually know about because Pirelli keeps their tire construction under very top secret information. That way, no one can copy them. It's a smart move by a company. Just makes it a little bit harder to understand. So when you hear graining, what does that mean? So I'll give you the technical edition. I'll give you the technical rundown and I'll, I'll interpret it for you. So greening is when a little bit of the rubber comes off the tire grooves and then sticks onto the tire itself. So when these guys are wearing down the tires, there is a little bit of grooving in the tire. It looks totally smooth, but upon really, really close inspection, it is lined up a certain way because you have to build the tire a certain way. So when you're going really, really fast on a fast track and on a hot track, you're going to naturally lose rubber on the road. When you're watching Formula One, sometimes you'll see on a straight stretch, you'll see the cars coming right towards the camera. If you look where the car is, it's perfectly clear track. There's nothing on it. It looks like someone has swept it. When you look to the left or to the right of the cars, you're going to see a bunch of what looks to be like black sand or black pebbles or something like that. That's actually... Pieces of rubber that have become so hot and they've grained and they've come off the tires. So essentially what this means 
is as you wear down the tire, the rubber is going to start to kind of pebble or turn into little shapes of grain on the tire itself. Now, drivers don't want this because you want as much traction between and as much contact as between the tire and the ground as you possibly can. When you have graining, when the tires are kind of starting to fall apart a little bit, you're losing that connection between the tire and the road. Now, this is not super dangerous unless all of a sudden you get a bunch of rain and then it's like you're driving on ice. They don't really have a whole lot of grip. They can't maintain their speed, so on and so forth. But essentially what it does is because of the slower or the less amount of contact between the tire and the road, they're going slower. They don't want this. Sometimes what these guys do, and Lewis Hamilton is famous for this, they'll say the tires are graining. Okay, then when you look at a really slow motion picture or, or a slow motion video, or sometimes you'll get a good picture of it, you're going to see the little grains of rubber on the tire itself. Some drivers understand their cars and understand the drivers enough where all of a sudden they'll call, they went through the graining phase. So it's kind of like, okay, you're done the first level of your tires. They've grained. You've got all this stuff on your tires, but you continue to drive in a certain way where now all of a sudden all that little extra rubber is off your tire. It's almost like you've got a brand new tire. Some drivers can do this like Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, Fernando Alonso is amazing at it. Some drivers can't. When you hear them talking about these tires grain really easily on this type of weather, it means that the tire is starting to come apart a little bit and you've got extra pieces of rubber on the tire instead of the tire being in connection with the road. Now, depending on where you are in the race, if you already had a couple of pit stops or if you're on your last set of tires, graining can cause a few issues for a few different drivers on some specific courses, especially when it comes to going into chicanes or really, really long corners. Do you guys remember what a chicane is? I thought you did. So what happens is, or what happens when you get a lot of graining on a car that maybe not, it may be not the fastest or the best stability. Well, something that happens is called either oversteer or understeer. This only happens when you're going into corners. Now, generally this happens when you go into corners at fast speed. Oversteer and understeer is kind of like the reaction of the car. Is the car in the proper area to react as fast as the driver needs? Or is the car in that perfect zone where it needs to react as fast as the environmental um, aspects need it to? So let's go over this. Oversteer and understeer. Essentially what oversteer is, is when you're going in either left or right, it doesn't matter what direction the corner is, the back end of the car is not following the car. Okay, so picture you're turning left to right. Okay, or sorry, right to left. You're turning right, so you're, or you're turning left. Your front tires are facing left and the front of your car is starting to turn. What oversteer is, is the back end of your car is not turning with the rest of the car. Essentially what it's doing is instead of going an arc from right to left, the back end of your car is going straight. It wants to what's called take over the front. So essentially what this can do is if you hit oversteer way too much, or if you try to overcorrect, which is kind of you steer in the opposite direction, your car will spin out ass end first. So think of it like you've got a truck and the back end just likes to go first. Some trucks, some trucks back in the day, you know what trucks those are. If you're, if you're a gearhead, they have a tendency to lead ass end first because it could be a little bit heavier. 
It could be not as responsive or there could be something broken. That's what oversteer is. So you're going right, turning right to left. The front of your car is starting to make that turn, but your back end just keeps going straight. Essentially, if you don't overcorrect it, it'll send you totally sideways and if not spin you, which is dangerous because other drivers can hit you. Two, it can send you into a gravel pit and we'll get to that definition next. Uh, or two, it could send you into the wall or into another driver and you're going to lose time. You're going to lose positions and all that kind of fun stuff. And sometimes it may affect your race enough that you can't even finish. So the next, what's a gravel pit? So if you oversteer and you end in a gravel pit, essentially what that is, is instead of hitting a cement wall, like you see in some courses, Monaco, and um, I think it's Austin, instead of hitting the barrier, you're going to hit a massive gravel pit. Now these gravel pits are about six inches deep and it's a lower area before the wall that's filled with aired gravel. Okay, so now what's aired gravel? Instead, because no one drives on it, so they pour a bunch of gravel on there and they have, it kind of looks like a farming tractor at the very beginning and it kind of stirs up the gravel, making it as fluffy as gravel can be so it's non-compact and hard. So when a car going, let's say, 100 kilometers an hour hits that gravel, because it's so fluffy, it will slow that car down. It's going to wreck the car, but it's going to make sure the driver doesn't hit the wall if they make it that far as fast as if they were skidding off cement or packed gravel. So when you hear somebody say, oh, they're off into the gravel pit, that's a safety feature from the track that you're going to hit before you get to the wall. Now, understeer. Now, what is understeer? Understeer means you're going so goddamn fast that you can't make a turn left or right because you're going too fast. Essentially what it is, is the front of the car doesn't want to turn and you're going, you know, sideways. You're going way too far. You're going straight. You're going so fast. The grip on the tires doesn't matter. And you're going in the direction that you're facing, or you're going to slide totally sideways because your car has caught enough grip that it's starting to turn. But because you've understeered, your car is just going to go in the direction that momentum is carrying it. Sometimes it's into a sidewall. Some drivers are have enough experience where they just kind of take your foot off the gas. It settles the car and they can correct it and keep going. Some drivers end up hitting that gravel pit, which end up into the wall, all bunch of all bunch of different circumstances, but you definitely don't want understeer or oversteer. So let's say you have oversteered your car through a chicane because you've had too much DRS and you hit a wall in qualifying. Okay. So what's going to happen is you, once qualifying is done, that your car goes into what's going to be our next definition, because there's so many races this year, you're going to hear this probably more often than not off track. That's more responsible for where cars are going to start any type of penalty. It's called park ferme. So let's say you damage your car. After qualifying and after a race for a certain amount of time, the cars go into what's called park ferme. This is a very specific area that, and every single car does this. Every, all 20, no matter what, they go into a fenced off area where teams are not allowed to access these cars for a certain amount of time. This ensures that no team has to make uh, unreal, or not unrealistic, has to make unscheduled repairs making sure that no one essentially is cheating, that they're adding a piece here, adding a piece there, or that they're trying to cheat by taking away a piece that they weren't supposed to have. Or maybe they've got an outdated piece of equipment that you're not supposed to have. Park Ferme tries to um, 
make sure every single team follows the rules. Okay. So let's say you, you wrecked your car in qualifying and you have to take your car out of park for a minute. You are going to get a penalty. Now, depending on what happens to your car, sometimes you're going to lose grid spots. Sometimes you're going to have to start in the pit lane, depending on how big your repair is. So let's say you're doing qualifying and you get, you're going to start second place. Okay. You put your laptop in, but then something happens. You crash your car. You have to fix it and you have to break parmate or you have to break park Fermi rules to repair your car. Now you're not going to start second. Now you're going to start maybe four, four spots back. So now instead of being second, you're going to be sixth. Maybe you have to start 10 spots back. So now instead of second, you're 12th. If your repair bill, if your repair bill and your repair time is big enough, because there are limitations on when you can fix your car as well. If you go over that time, you're going to start in the pit lane. Pit lane starts essentially means that you are going to start last. It's last and then worse that you get to do your warm up grid or your warm up lap. Make sure your tires are in the right spot. But then you have to line up in pit row and then you can't leave as fast because there's certain limitations that you have to hit, like speed limits that you have to do. And you have to wait till the very last car passes you. If the last car breaks down or doesn't start, that's too bad. You can't leave pit lane because that last car has not passed you. So, like I said before, with 24 races this season, I do believe, and I prepare yourself that you're going to hear a lot of references to park firm penalties and rules. And especially with the sprint weekend, which has had a little tweaks, which we're going to talk about next, the park firm rule can happen more than once in one weekend. So folks, those are at least my top 10 definitions that you're going to need to know to help you understand and enjoy the 2024 Formula One season. Now, for those of you who have been listening for a while, there has been a few rule changes. And for those of you, it's the first time listening, you're going to understand these rule changes and it's going to help you enjoy the season a lot more. Now, I have stated these rules in previous podcasts, episodes, but seeing as how that we are less than a week away from the first race of the 2024 season, we're actually a couple days away, I figured it'd be a good time to review. So let's get right into it. The right to review time. So at the end of a race, every single team has the right to review a decision that the FIA or the stewards, aka the refs of the race, have made during the race. It used to be 14 days which would be, especially when you've got triple headers, you've got three races in a row, 14 days. It's just, there's way too much information to keep track of after those three races. And let's be honest, the stewards have better shit to do than review a situation that happened two weeks ago when you've got three more races that you have to pay attention to. So they've knocked that down. They've got knocked it down from 14 days to 96 hours or four days. That's it. That's all you got. It's still going to be, a little difficult and a lot of work for the stewards to do the 96 hours when you've got a triple header. But generally by that time, you've got other stewards that are, or FIA officials that will look at the things that happen further back just to help streamline the situation a little bit. But from 14 days to four days, I think this is drastically going to help improve the speed of which complaints are fixed. Um, and that you're not going to hear three days later, oh, the change in this race because they argued such and such a factor. This place did not, this person didn't actually finish in the top 10. They finished last, so on and so forth. With those right to reviews, you now have to pay. You have to pay to have your right to review looked at, period. And it's not cheap anymore. 
So the right to review used to be $270,000. Okay. Now that would be a payment no matter what, win or lose. It wasn't, it didn't take a whole lot out of the budget, but it did affect some teams. Haas mainly, they have a right to review every single fucking race. It's like, they just can't, something happens where they don't like it. They argue with it. It's the right to review. They take up so much of the Stewart's times. Now they have upped that price tag for the right to review. It is now a million euro or for us Canadians, it's one point, excuse me. It is almost $1.5 million to put in your right to review. Now, this is now officially coming out of your team budget. You only have less than $150 million to run your team. And that's everything, including your right to reviews. The thing they have also changed when it comes to right to reviews is if you lose that million euros comes out of your budget. If you win, you get that million euros back. They're making sure that if you're doing a right to review, and this is not so much for the top five teams, because these guys, they all have the same budget, but the majority of the right to reviews come from the middle or the back end of the pack tight teams. So we're talking Haas, Alpine, uh, Kick, uh, what's now VRB, um, which is also Visa Cash App Racing Bulls. Uh, majority of the complaints and the right to reviews come from those teams. This is really going to make sure that they either choose to, yes, we're going to take it or absolutely not. It's just not worth our time. I think this is definitely going to, again, streamline. The stewards are not going to have to deal with as many complaints. The complaints that do come in are going to be much more legitimate and much more affecting of points, constructors cup, um, driver's championship, all sorts of things. So from $250,000 to 1.5 million, it's a bit of a jump. Next up, this is my biggest excitement to see. It's going to be the sprint weekend revamp. I think this makes much more sense than what it was before. Last year and the year before, sprint weekends were such, in my opinion, such a clusterfuck. It was so much going on that you couldn't make sense of it one way or the other. So the way this works now for sprint weekends, Friday morning, you're still going to have the practice session. The one practice session that you always have, you get one hour, that's all you get. Now, the sprint shootout is going to be Friday. It's not going to be pushed to Saturday. It's going to be pushed to Friday. So instead of having your GP qualifying on Friday, you're having the sprint race qualifying Friday morning. So that way it's one hour practice. And then you've got this, what they call the sprint shootout. So that's qualifying for the race for the sprint. Next day, Saturday. Now what they've done is that you've got the sprint race itself in the more, we're going to call it the morning session of Saturday. So that's going to take, it's a hundred kilometers. So if that's 30 laps, 50 laps, whatever the case may be, it takes about an hour and a half max. Then the sprint race is done. Collect your points. But now what they're doing is now they're doing the qualifying for the Sunday race in the afternoon session on Saturdays. Okay. So that's great. Keeps the guys locked in. Now it's even more important. And uh, Sunday itself stays race day. No matter what, Sunday is just race day by itself. The guys concentrate on what they have to do after the races. Another thing that has changed with the sprint weekends, which I absolutely love, is remember how we talked about the Park Ferme rule? So before with the sprint weekend, Park Ferme was established for the entire weekend. There was one Park Ferme for sprint and the race itself like the sprint shootout and then the full Grand Prix race. That was it. You couldn't make any changes at all. 
Some teams would choose to take the penalty just to change their car for the actual race itself. Some teams just kind of hope to get it right the first time and just suffer with it. What they've done now, and I think it's an amazing idea, is they essentially have two Park Fermes now. They've got Park Ferme separate for the sprint race and separate for the Grand Prix. So qualifying for the Grand Prix, Park Ferme rules change where, okay, here's the rate you, you change your, wait, let's try to get this properly. You do the sprint race, okay? You've tweaked the car to the sprint race. You can now go back and change your car for qualifying because it's not it's a separate park for me rule. You can now tweak your car to the actual Grand Prix race, and then it's the second park for me. Does that make sense? So you do your sprint for the sprint shootout, which is Friday. Your car goes into park for me, number one. That's for the sprint race. That's for the 100K. Okay, so the 100-kilometer race is done. The teams can now go back and make alterations and tweaks to the car one more time for the Grand Prix race. That's Park Ferme number two. I think this is going to be fantastic because it changes day to day in some of these tracks. You got it tweaked in. You got it dialed in for 100K. Well, now you've got a race that's substantially longer Maybe you have to adjust the flap. Maybe you have to adjust an air intake here and there, things of that nature. I think this is going to be much more exciting when it comes to the sprint weekend. I also think it's going to create a lot less drama around it. So the drivers and the teams and us viewers at home, we can actually enjoy it just a little bit more. And the last thing that you need to know for the rule changes thus far for the 2024 season is now the DRS activation. So remember what DRS is? Go back in the episode and review if you don't quite remember. But the drag reduction system is now available one lap earlier this year and for 2025 than it was in 23, 22, and 21. So what does that mean? Anytime there is the beginning of the race, uh, red flag, safety car, virtual safety car, in previous years, you'd have to go two full laps before DRS was available. It didn't, in my opinion, this rule... It doesn't really affect anything that much, but when it's a super close race, I know the drivers like it. So now in 24 and 25, DRS is available after the very first lap. So let's say there's a slight crash. There's a safety car, full-on safety car. They get everything out of the way, and you're on lap 10 of 20. By the end of lap 11, you can use your DRS, which means these guys are going as fast as they possibly can. It's back to real-life race application as quickly as possible. Again, like I said, I don't think this is going to make a drastic change when it comes to speed and time between cars, but I do think it's going to make it more raceable for the drivers themselves. They're going to keep them a little bit closer where maybe let's say Red Bull doesn't have the best DRS system this year and McLaren can get much, much closer. It'll make things a little bit more interesting, but overall, in my opinion, I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. So I've given you all these definitions and I've given you all these new rules that I think you need to know in, in the 2024 season. And for those of you who are new to Formula One, you're like, okay, so what are they racing for? Yes, they're racing for a championship. But my last two definitions that I'm going to give that you need to know that they're going to talk about a lot, especially in the second half of the season, is what they're actually racing for. So they're racing for two different championship trophies. One is the driver's championship and one is the constructor's cup, also known as the constructor's championships. So what are they? The driver's championship, kind of self-explanatory. 
This is the individual championship that these guys are racing for. Every sprint race and every Grand Prix, there's an allocation of points. In the sprint race, top person gets 10 points. In the actual Grand Prix, top person gets 25 points. All the way down to, in the sprint race, the top eight gain points. The last person, the eighth place person, gets one point. In the Grand Prix, it goes to the top 10 people get points. The 10th person gets one point. So they're going to add these points up to the entire season. And the first, the person with the most points by the end of the season wins the driver's championship. If you catch a dominant driver, like last season and the season before, Max Verstappen had won the driver's championship. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it, I believe it was five or six races before the actual end of the season. That's how many points he had won. So that's the individual championship. That's the driver's championship. Now the constructor's cup. Well, what is a constructor? A constructor is just the different name for a team championship, a team cup. Red Bull is a constructor's, Mercedes, Aston Martin, Haas, uh, Kick, uh, Visa Cash App. All the teams that are actually on the grid are considered constructors. So this is more of a team championship. So just like drivers, at the end of each race, the teams also get points that go towards the Constructors' Cup. And just like the Drivers' Championship, by the end of the season, or unless you have a very, very dominant team, again, by about five races to the last race, Red Bull had won the championship. They had won the Drivers, and they won the Constructors. But if it's a close season, it'll come down to which team has the most points by the end of the season. And that is... The best way to describe it, in my opinion, it's the it's the championships. It's what you're driving for. It's what these guys go around and around and around and around and around as much as possible and as fast as they possibly can. So when does all of this magnificent action start? When does the 2024 F1 season start? Well, folks, it starts February 29th to March 2nd. It is one of, I believe, four races that are taking place on Saturdays. Now, because we have so many races... Over the entire year now, we have 24 races. Some teams have to be, or some races have to be pushed to Saturdays. I don't mind it. It's the same setup as it would be for a Sunday race. Just everything's pushed a day forward. So as of today, if you're watching F1 TV, it was the weekend warm-up. It, what that is, is it's a breakdown of like how the drivers are feeling, what the track conditions are like. Tomorrow being Thursday, the 28th, 29th, sorry. Uh, this is the full practice day this is just these guys going around. This is when they're going to tweak their cars. This is where they're going to do all the modifications they need before they hit park firming. For us here in Calgary, it is just before one o'clock for full practice three. Full practice two is at 2 a.m. And then full practice one is what they call it. F3, two, and one. The last practice of the day is 4.30 a.m. our time, which is a little early. Uh, and then we are moving on to what essentially is going to be Friday where they've got the final practice. Sorry, I was reading the wrong schedule. Practice one and two is Thursday morning at 4.30 and 8 our time. Practice three is Friday morning at 5.30. Qualifying itself is on Friday morning at 9. Qualifying takes about an hour. Uh, we're going to break that down on Friday for our podcast. Uh, post, and then there's always a pre and post qualifying show. Again, really good to read or really good to watch. You get to see how the racing, how the drivers are feeling, what the cars look like, if they're responding the way they want to. There's always interviews before and after. It's fantastic. 
Saturday morning, pre-race show starts at 6.30, and this is local time. This is our time in Calgary. Race is at 8 a.m. Post-race show is at 10. So Bahrain, a lot of people read really deep into what the cars are going to be like for the first race of the season. I purely enjoy it for the entertainment factor. I want to see how these new cars react. It is speculated that Red Bull is going to run away with it. Again, their engineering team is a genius, but I just want you guys to tune in for yourself. It's the first race for the 2024 season. It's going to be spectacular. It's going to be fast. It's going to be hot, and it is not too early of a race. You'll see throughout the season there are some races for us if we want to watch it live here in Calgary. You're getting up at like 2 a.m. or 3 to watch the race, and it's it can get a little early. But... Until then, I hope everyone enjoys the Grand Prix, uh, Bahrain Grand Prix, and I will talk to you next time on F101.